Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we are most excited to have back on the show Renee Starr, who is a multi award winning author, wild witch, nine moons, lunar priestess, and artist. And today she's going to be sharing her wisdom about talismans and amulets. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our show. We're happy to have you guys here. Um, we've got all kinds of great stuff coming up and planning in the works for May. We're going to hopefully have our next roundtable of uh, magical people. So it's our two-hour special that we do, and maybe we'll invite Renee back for that. That would be great to have her back. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Next week is Spell It Out with Krista, and she's going to continue, I think, to do some stuff on tarot. So for all you tarot enthusiasts, um, you can get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. And while you're there, if you can afford to, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It helps us to cover some of our cost of, of doing the show. But we absolutely love doing it for you guys, and we love our fans. Please comment. And uh, if you're on while we're doing the live stream, live chat, and we can answer your questions. And uh, sign up for our newsletter on our website as well. And uh, hit like and subscribe. That's one of the best things you can do to help us out if you really want to do that. And we appreciate that as well. So I'm not going to take up too much of your time because this is a great topic, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And welcome, Renee. Hi, thank you. So good to have you back. Thank you. It's so good to be back. Now, uh, I remember we talked a little bit about this topic, and I realized uh, both the talismans and amulets are things that most magic people know about, but maybe not a lot about them. We know uh, mm -hmm. their importance in the sense that we use them, and, and certainly there are people that do know a lot, but I don't really. I mean, I, I when I think about it, I don't know much about the history so I, I think it's really a great topic. Uh, so first of all, I would like to just have you explain the difference between the two. Excellent. It's such a good question, too. And while they can be interchanged in a way, talismans traditionally are um, for any purpose. They can be made of paper, crystal, uh, clay, any, you know, any material and for any purpose, whereas amulets were traditionally only for protection. And they were usually made as a jewelry charm or a bauble or something to be carried in a velvet bag or a little linen bag, something that was more jewelry-like. And so um, pendants have a relationship, like jewelry pendants have a relationship to amulets. Mm. And so they they come together, talismans and amulets, and they also diverge, you know, into different directions and they have their own pathways. So when I work with them, I sometimes, call, in fact, let me back up a second. An amulet can also be something that you say. It can be like a spell charm that you say. So you make an amulet spell that you recite and you carry it with you and that acts as the amulet as well. well and that's then, fascinating. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Spells, you, you know, uh, spell charm. So the word charm and amulet kind of hold hands because of the jewelry connection, but a spell is also a charm. Hmm. And so it can be an amulet as well. And, you know, the kind of magic that I practice isn't very uh, regimented. I like to push the edge of envelopes. I like to explore and I like to be eclectic and also create from tradition. Mm. So I like to mix it up a little bit. I don't, you know, if someone says to me, that's not the right way to do that. I really can't handle that. <laughs> I, like to, I like to kind of break out of the, you know, break out of the boundaries and create magic that is very personal and very wild. So, you know, I, I was what was initially um, I was attracted to at the time I was attracted to formally working with the goddess and witchcraft. And I did it on my own. And I remember one of my, my, um, rituals was I memorized one of Doreen Valente's poems and I would say it out loud every day. And that was, That's I just decided beautiful. to do that. And she's cause she's got great poetry, you know, it was oh, uh, yeah. her famous That's one. A beautiful practice that, and what you were doing is you turned her words into a spell or an invocation, and then you worked with them. And if you were working with a talisman, you might've written those words down and put symbols around them. Mm. And you might've activated your paper uh, during a specific celestial event or moon phase or associated it with a specific star or lunar mansion or a goddess or an angel and then folded it up, put it in some little container and carried it with you as a magical talisman. Wow. I, yeah, really, that appeals to me as a poet. I'd love that idea. And I, yes. and I definitely love um, magical poetry, if it's, especially when it's so well done. But even when yeah. it's simple, I, I really, I like, it's the one time I like rhyming is with spells. I mean, because it helps yeah. you get into that state of mind mm-hmm. and rhythm. It's easy to remember. There's actually a scientific basis to that uh, rhythmic rhyming for spell work. And it's not something I think the ancients were consciously aware of. But when I became a hypnotherapist, I learned that the subconscious mind, it, 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 um, alliteration and poetry and rhyming appeals. It catches the attention of the subconscious. Mm. So when you're working that way, you can go quite trancey. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that rhythm of poetry and that rhyming, your conscious mind gets very bored of it and your subconscious really comes forth. Right. So that's what you want. And that's a good thing. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Now, now let's talk a little bit about how far back all talismans oh. and amulets go. I know that you would know this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you know my love of going back into time. I love finding the root and the origin of everything. I have this burning desire to go back in time and seek ancient wisdom. So to answer your question, talismans and amulets, I would say amulets go farther back because of their um, uh, physical presence. You could hold them in your hand. You could make a piece of jewelry. You could make a charm, a fetish. And so they go back. We have discovered in Neolithic uh, dig sites that we found tiny fetishes of goddess, of Mm. animals, of um, like a leg or an arm, things like that. So they were using fetish amulet and worshiping and, you know, they imbued magical powers to them for protection. And you can see this in ancient, you know, uh, Mexican and uh, Aztec milagros as well. Mm. All those little body parts and the little, um, you know, anything you wanted, you create, you, you got a, obtained an, a milagro for, and you imbued it with prayer. So it goes back, I would say, even pre-Neolithic to times when we don't have any, you know, we don't have any proof of that. 
but we see it in every single culture. Mm. And talismans had a rise in medieval times when Mm. the Magi traveled from Persia and they went into, you know, one of their missions as um, Zoroastrians was to spread the magic and spread the wisdom of magical practice. So they went to the Northern countries, Europe, the Nordic countries, Germanic countries, and they taught magical practice of astrology and herbalism and angelic connection. And paper talismans were made. Mm. Talismans Mm. made on sheepskin, you know, on parchment. And those are very powerful even today. Mm. Very powerful. A paper talisman, even if I I do a quick one on a piece of note paper, I infuse it and activate it properly. I have had them work so powerfully for me. Like almost it's my exclusive way of working magically is with talismans and amulets. Now, when you go to make one, um, do you draw from a a lot of different sources in terms of the symbols you use? Or do you have favorite ones that you, you know, Mm -hmm. tend tend to use a lot of? I'd be kind of curious to know how you work. Yeah, I think, you know, because we all have a a gravitation towards a specific pantheon, a specific love of symbol. And if you love symbols, you love talismans and amulets. So for me, I tend to gravitate towards astrological, uh, runic, and um, then anything like ancient symbols, so spiral, things like that. But I put a lot of astrological and runic symbols in my work. And then I also do the rune spells. So I, you know, take several different runes, combine them, break them down and create a new design. So it's hidden. And I'm the only one who knows. Ah. This, This is important too. I never show my talismans or amulets to anyone. They are, I, if I, teach a course, I make one with them or show them how in person, but it's not a a one that I'm going to really work with. I learned that's true with at least um, the course I took with the Native American woman with um, shields. They'd never put their medicine in the front. It's always the real medicine. They decorate it, but that's not their medicine. They hide it from people. And I thought that was really interesting because it makes sense yeah. then it makes you it makes less sense. vulnerable and, and not only that you don't want other eyes or other thoughts on your magic so if you're making a spell jar which is an amulet by the way a little spell vial is an amulet um if you're making something like that you don't want other people looking at it touching it mm-hmm. or putting their their unconscious thoughts into it mm-hmm. you want to, and so you want to protect it um usually you can use a black uh cloth or box or, or metal to hide it or just hide it away, put it in a drawer or, you know, some people wear mojo bags or medicine bags and they mm. put everything in there, but you don't ever touch it. You can't look in it. Mm. It's very private. That, and that's an interesting thing because of the phenomena on Instagram of people doing, we've talked about this on other shows, maybe not with you, but with Jackie, I think Smith of Coventry Creations about the public um, doing of magic and spells. And I could see if it was a community spell, like for the Mm -hmm. community, but Mm -hmm. people doing their private ones, it it sort of seems to me ineffective. Uh, That, I mean, from what I know, knew of of magic, I said, well, I I think that you're opening up a door where you're, it's making it harder for it to be effective. I agree. And, you know, 
this is where I toggle back and forth to pushing envelopes and innovating because I'm very creative and also following some very good traditions. So I like to, you know, keep really solid, good traditions in place, but not make them a rule. Right. So it isn't a rule that you shouldn't show your magic. If you want your magic to be most potent, most effective and most pure, you will not show it publicly. So I wonder, like I, you know, I've recently started watching Witch Talk just out of curiosity and God bless, you know, or Goddess Bless as well. They're really excited about what they're doing and I'm excited for them. And I wonder if what they're sharing is their actual magic. Oh yeah, maybe not. (laughs) You know, I don't know if it is. Right, it's like an act. It's drama and theatrics on purpose and for a good reason to teach and share. Like, I think that's phenomenal. But if I'm teaching or sharing my magic, that is not the talisman I'm actually going to use. That's a good, that's a good perception. I think that's probably quite possible for some of them. You're right. They're just showing what it could look like and and they're putting on like, you know, an act, you know, acting it out in a sense so that you can see what it's like. Exactly. And in that way, look at, I mean, this is probably the first time since the beginning of time that we can do magic publicly. I mean, we're it's in true. There, well, there are some countries it's still dangerous to be a witch. There's certain parts of okay. Africa that you can still be burned and killed, even though they have a lot of witches. Uh, yes. But you're right. It, it's it's. I never thought of it quite like that. And uh, it, it's it's safer and and it's also you know, popular in terms mm-hmm. of not just, oh, you know, the one witch in the village kind of. Right. Which would be me. <laughs> <laughs> it would be me living at the edge of the forest, which I kind of actually am. So. <laughs> so, um, so what about maybe giving us an example of a simple talisman a person can use, maybe something that would be connected to something relevant right now, um, something connected to healing maybe would be good or prosperity or wanting, you know, I get people asking a lot, am I on the right path? Like, like that would be an interesting talisman Mm -hmm. or something like that. So maybe you can give an example. Yeah, that one, I wouldn't say that would be simple. I would say that would be an astrological endeavor because you would really want to go into the birth chart and then support what the possibilities are for that, um, that person's purpose and working with them. However, that being said, I, if I were having a consultation with someone to create something, and by the way, I don't create magic for people. I create the tools or offer the tools or teach the tools for them to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So if I make a talisman for you, you would have to activate it yourself, etc. Mm-hmm. But so if someone were looking for life purpose, I would go into their um, sun and ascendant signs and I would work with those two symbols Mm. because the sun is who you are in in life in public and your ascendant is your destiny, who who you're designed to be. And then you could even throw your moon sign in there because those are your deepest you know, deepest, most intuitive and hidden dreams and intuitions. So I would work with those three, Mm. you know, that's the triplicity Mm -hmm. of, um, 
of uh, astrology, when you work with those three, you're working with the essence of your birth chart. So that is where I would go. And then you might want to put um, a symbol of something that's very important to you. Maybe you like runes. Maybe you like the Hebrew letters. Maybe, you know, there's another uh, symbology, a system of symbolism that you enjoy. Now, would you say... Um... If you're like into the tarot, you could use a card itself oh, magically absolutely. as a talisman and, and somehow do more with they it are. than decorate it or, yeah. They are talismans. They are already talismans inactive until you activate them. So before you shuffle, before you choose, all those talismans are sitting there waiting and the moment you choose them, they begin to work with you and for you. So yes, I've actually done spell work with tarot cards and I've used them as amulets and talismans. Mm. Boy, mm -hmm. those little tiny decks would be perfect if you wanted something small. Yes, <laughs> very much so. And that's an interesting, this is where the talisman amulet come together because you can put a talisman in a locket mm. and the locket is your amulet and your talisman is hiding within it. Um, I'm in process right now with a jeweler, a fantastically mystical and magical jeweler, and I'm going to, I'm having a, a witch ring designed, and I'm going to put a spell that has been um, a talisman and a spell that I've burned and put the ash underneath the gemstone. Ooh, that's yeah. interesting. I love that. Yeah. I know. Very interesting. So that gets into the idea of having some talismans that might be more permanent than others in terms of like... <laughs> Mm -hmm. You can them. have, you can have permanent talismans. I find that they do have a lifespan. Um, it depends on what the purpose of them is. Um, as an example, my amulets, uh, my Hamsa, I'm very, very connected to the Hamsa and my Hamsa amulets, which some of them I could put talismanic magic in them uh, by putting little slips of paper or ash inside of one if I wanted, but those are forever for me. They may need a recharge every now and then, but they don't stop working unless the purpose I have set for them is no longer needed. Interesting. So uh, I'm going to go back to the Hamsas thing in a minute too. Mm -hmm. So how do you know when you, you know, first of all, when the, the talisman or is no longer working and what do you do with it uh, after it's done, how do you dispose of it magically? Because I've, I've had this conversation of how to dispose of magical things, and it's a little more complicated than, like, I don't want to pollute, and, <laughs> you know, I don't want right. to just throw things in the garbage, though. <laughs> so. Right, right. Well, it's, it, you know, that's a good, it's a really excellent question, and there's many, many different answers for different circumstances. So we'll go into the basic, how do you know? you'll, you go through a process to activate your talisman, you bless it, you activate it, and then you put it, you know, in a container to carry with you or even your um, amulet or your talisman. And you can feel it. You can feel its energy. You can feel it working in your life. Synchronicities will come forth. You'll start to understand, um, oh, wow, this is coming from my talisman, my talismanic work, or my amulet's working for me. You can feel it. And then you don't feel it anymore. So it's, you can also spe specify a time. I'm going to use this for one full moon phase. And at the end of the moon uh, uh, cycle, I'm sorry, moon cycle, at the end of the cycle, you're done. You've set that parameter. But if you're leaving one open-ended, like I have some right now that the window for them 
it kind of, I felt it close a couple of months ago. And so I'm getting ready to um, let them go. You can just feel it. Um, you get into relationship with your talismans and amulets and you should be in relationship with them. You should touch them often. You have to forget about their working. You have to let them work, but you want to kind of touch it, remember where it is, say hello, get into relationship with it. Mm. And as far as letting them go, if your talisman or your amulet is complete and you'll never use it again, like you're not going to restart it for anything, then you should either bury, put into the ocean safely without creating pollution or burn if possible. That would work with the paper one. Paper is, I usually burn paper. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was wondering then, I wonder if that would be, I have... um... Uh, a bay leaf I've been using mm, and carrying nice. it around for a specific property, but now it has a hole in it. And I can't decide if I should keep it or burn it. I'm at that end and put another one in. I, I think probably burning it when it's done would be the best thing is what I can it tell. It more because it's plant material, it's of the earth. Mm-hmm. So you could also crumble it into the dirt or sand and it's just as destroyed. And then you also want to let your talisman or amulet know during a ritual that you're done. Mm. You know, you're releasing it, you know, so in my course, I actually have a spell charm to release or retire either of those and you can retire. um, I don't retire talismans. I destroy them at the end. Um, But with an amulet, you can retire it until further notice or forever. Ah, it can Mm -hmm. go to sleep for a while. It can go to sleep. What you do is you remove the intention and the uh, the magic from it. Mm. You create a blank slate and you let it know that it is now free of purpose and awaits your next purpose. Now, I wanted to go back to the Hamsa, and I don't know the formal name for the, the symbol against the evil eye. I looked it up once. There's a name for it, like the, 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 the single blue eye. Oh, that in Greek, I can't remember what the name of that is. I know what you're saying. Yeah, no one mentions it. I didn't even know until I was researching. said, oh, it has a name. That's cool. Well, I I love both those symbols enormously. But the time that I bought this hamsa from this fellow used to be on the beach, and he came from Turkey. And he'd Mm. have these beautiful ceramic ones, but it was the way they were... um, this rope that that were they were braided on was really good. It was like you could see someone put a lot of energy and it was wow. not expensive. So I'd always go and buy them there. But yeah. the first time I bought it, I think I bought it more for decoration. And mm-hmm. I put it on my front door in our apartment. And I wasn't I didn't do any magic with it. I just thought, how beautiful is this? And I know you can put it in front your front door. And that weekend, our business went insane. And I realized like, oh my God, we needed yeah. some help. Which, which <laughs> I mean, direction was the hand pointing? Uh, well, it was facing out towards the east. No, uh, down or oh, up? Up. Up, okay. It was, it was up. It's still so it's up, very, I left it there. Yes, and it's very interesting. So there's an awful lot. I've, you know, I we, we spoke, uh, you and I before the show about my heritage, my secret Persian heritage, which, you know, came forth after my parents passed. And I, all of a sudden we now learn that we're Persian. But um, I connected to the Hamsa before I knew that and hadn't really worked with it. And then recently in the last few years, it has come forth for me. I'm actually writing a book called Hamsa Magic. And it's come forth for me as one of my most precious 
amulets and talismans. You can, you know, combine the two. It is so powerful. And I've done a great deal of meditation with it. And what I have learned is that it goes back to ancient Egypt when there was a hand symbol and they would have um, the hand with the, you know, the, the um, two fingers and the thumb. And that was brought into Christianity. You'll see Jesus ah, with that symbol. Right. And that was Isis, Osiris, and Horus. So it was um, Isis, Osiris, and Horus. Ah. And so that was a symbol, an amulet protection. And it evolved into different cultures as the Hamsa. Mm. And the Hamsa is the hand of the goddess and the eye of God. I love that. We'll have you back on because it's definitely, I mean, I, I'm just always drawn to uh, its beauty. I, I yeah. use it, I, I buy things but all the time, but also other people notice it a lot. I, I, I had this like $20 fringe little uh, purse with a, the hamps on it. And it was, it's really cheap looking in some ways. And everyone always notices. And now it's really beat up even. And I, I can't find yeah. it again because I, I don't want to spend a lot of money. It's, it's a fake leather. It's not. Right. But it, it, I mean, yeah. it was it was I just love the, the hamps on it. And I uh, have always meant to do more research, but I always trust my instincts about what I'm drawn to, whatever crystal, whatever, mm -hmm. that has always, to me, been my starting point with any object is like yeah. trusting that. And then you can do the research and, and, and all mm -hmm. of that. But I, I find if I try to approach it intellectually, it's not the same for me. And that's just how I operate. Yes. What will happen is an amulet will attract you. It will call to you. And then you'll start working with it. And then you'll start seeing its effect in your life. And if you're interested, you'll find you have an invitation to study it and to research it and you learn more. And that's what happened with the Hamsa. And when the Hamsa is facing up, when fingers are facing up, that is protection. So mm. stop. Right. And when fingers are uh, facing down. It's a blessing of abundance and wealth and health and wealth. Mm. So you're, you're drawing upon the earth's abundance and strength and bringing it up into your life. It's interesting, so, you don't see that one as much. You don't, it's very oh. difficult to find. Yeah. And so you, you have to really, I'm actually in process of creating them. I'm gonna have, a, I'm really just diving deep into it as an amulet. And then the talisman aspect of it comes when you can inscribe specific charms mm -hmm. into the Hamsa, and then it becomes a talisman and amulet together. That seems really cool if you can do that. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's, it's, it's a nice balance between the two. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that practice, we find that way, way back in ancient Semitic cultures with incantation bowls. Mm. And so at the door of um, most ancient Semitic homes was an incantation bowl, usually to capture demons before they came into the house. Oh, my goodness. So what do you do once you capture them? You break the bowl. Oh, wow. They're in the bowl. You break oh. it. They can't get out. They have no way. So the spell starts on the rim and goes all the way around to the center. So mm. what happens is the demon gets caught on the rim and is drawn into the bowl. Oh. So in my book, I rewrote an incantation against Lilith and I made it an invocation and blessing because it came from an incantation bowl that was used to keep her from your home. Mm. Yeah, and Lilith course, gets a, a very bad rap. 
really does. Like that's a whole show in itself. <laughs> I, I should send you uh, maybe some of the poems I read. Um, I learned about uh, Lilith from this woman, a poet, Enid Dame in mm. New York, and she had written a whole book, a small book, a poetry in in support of Lilith, and they're really oh. wonderful poems. And I'd never known anything about Lilith until I heard these poems, Beautiful. and I have it still. And I I really really appreciate that, and they're, and they're very well done too. And and mm-hmm. it just totally opened the door to Lilith to me. And at a time I wasn't even looking. And uh, unfortunately, that I mean that's true, you know, of of the goddesses in general. That having having said that, I mean having worked with some goddesses that are intense, it, it doesn't mean I'm going to take. The, the intensity of certain goddesses for granted. I'm not going to just suddenly feel like, oh, you know, it's just Lilith. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's... won't let you do that anyway. <laughs> no, exactly. But, um, but I mean, I think... Holly. Well, I, I think it's getting better, the balance of how people see... Uh, from, when, from when I first was studying the goddess, it's, it's getting better. Um, there have been places that have kept it intact, like Tara... The 21 aspects of Tara, you just look at what some of the things she does and her imagery. She's always, that's one of the reasons I like Tara. She never lost all of the dimensions. Mm-hmm. They're all there. They're not hidden. Now there's different, there's so many different texts though. When I started to do research, I was completely overwhelmed. I had to even figure out, was well, this the one red Tara or is that the one red Tara? The mm-hmm. names and but but I was impressed that somehow she's managed to maintain all of the dimensions of the feminine. Yes, very much so. It's a blessing. Yeah. And most you know, most of the goddess work and goddess devotion, I'm finding the more I work with goddess, the more I find she has that bindu point, that point of origin, and she expresses herself in all the personifications. So you'll always find her somehow. Right. In some way. That's true. She'll lead you there. Yep. She will. So let's talk a little bit about using um, either the amulet or talisman around a specific goddess. And and how does Mm -hmm. that work? Um, I'm sure that's something that you have done and and shown people how to do. Mm -hmm. So you can do it in uh, several different ways. You can get an amulet in the likeness of your goddess. So you could get uh, a charm or a pendant or even a small statue or a large statue of, let's say um, you want to work with Lilith, you'll get a little statue of her, or you can work with uh, the ancient Egyptians. Then I have one. It's just absolutely stunning. It's a flat clay disc with the image of the goddess on it in raised, um, almost like a a, a um, boss relief. Mm -hmm. And so her face, I have one for hot whore and they would carry these clay discs with them. And they would infuse them with magic and incantation and and uh, petition, you know, prayer and petition. And when you're working with goddess, you really want her to come assist, be with you, you know, infuse her wisdom and guidance and power into your life mm-hmm. and guide you. So that's how I would work with them. You can also make a paper talisman for them, too. You can write her name in. There's very specific ways to create sigils. And you can create a sigil of her name and your petition, your request, what you would like, your intention. And then you put that on the paper and you can draw her symbolism. You can use her colors. You can put her um, dried plant material that is associated with her. Or if she has other kind of material, like let's say you're working with a goddess who works with owl feather. If you have owl feather, you can wrap that talisman around the feather. Ah, 
And you can that. bind it. And there's also binding of the talisman and uh, sacred words and sigils. There's so much. I mean, that's why I love it. Because even if I'm doing candle magic, I can bring a talisman or an amulet into it. Mm. Yeah, it seems very versatile. Very, very. It what is if, both. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. It's both its own magic and it is complementary and supportive and empowering of all other magic. One of the things I like about the, the Tibetan Buddhist teachers I have always met is you can take objects in to bless them. And they do, they do some things differently. Like I took uh, my green Tara statue to this um, one teacher and I'd gotten the, I think it was, I hadn't gotten the green Tara for some reason. I had the white Tara and so I got the empowerment. And he also gave me a little piece of paper to put underneath the statue. And I, I never, I've never opened it. That's and, your talisman. Yeah, and I realized when you were saying, oh, my God, and I've never had that happen before, but that's the way he worked. You know, they're, they're all a little different, you know, and yep. you can bring a lot of, you can bring rings or anything, oh. but that was really cool that he, he said, just keep yeah. this with the statue. So I put it underneath yes. it, and I put it in a case where I wouldn't, you know, dust and Beautiful. throw it away, but... Now, so, I didn't know that until we talked today. <laughs> I love that. And if you, you know, if you look in um, Judaism, you, you know, the mezuzah, which goes on the doorway inside the mezuzah. Now, the mezuzah is the amulet, very decorative or sometimes very plain. Mm -hmm. And inside of it is a tiny scroll that has been handwritten by a very specific particular rabbi. Oh, and it is a talisman of protection and blessing. Mm. And it's, you know, thousands of years old as a practice. Mm. I didn't know that. That's really beautiful. I, I love things like that. I do too. I do too. So now what happens if you find, um, let's say you're, you like antiques and you find something that seems like an amulet or talisman. How do, how like do you do approach it? Yeah, like you to do, you know, do you yeah. try, is there some way you can cleanse it? Do you yeah. accept it the way it is? You can do both. I have accepted items in that I feel are very clear and have not been really um, worked with or touched or infused. And then you can also, as a general rule, cleanse and clear. Um, I do know people who have brought antiques into their home and have experienced hauntings from them because there's attachments of spirit to them. Um, but jewelry and things like that, you can kind of sense or feel. And if you're not sensitive to it, you can ask someone. Or as I said, as a general rule, cleanse and clear. Use um, dried plant material or incense that you can burn or the flame of a candle that you can pass it through or rose water or rose hydrosol. Rose hydrosol? Hydrosol. Hydrosol. Okay. Yeah. It's rose. It's like rose water or is it's it like a rose water? Hydrosol is the byproduct of essential oil production. Mm -hmm. So it contains micro microscopic um, uh, particulates of the essential oil, but it is, uh, it's not, you can't like, you don't feel the oil. It just feels like water, but the scent is exquisite. Mm. I never mm. heard that. I remember you yeah. did, you've done a lot with, um, aromatherapy and you've yes. made your own perfumes anointing, anointing. yes yeah mm -hmm. you, I remember the rose I got was incredible oh, yeah that I know was, you talk about that I love that <laughs> I still remember it I don't know I it know. really struck me I don't know there was something so potent and it was the smell was just mm -hmm. exquisite so I always thought wow you have such a talent in that area thank you anointing is very precious to me and working with the scent is very sacred 
Well, scent is interesting. I was talking to Smell with a friend of mine recently and how of all the ways memory comes back, it's one of the most um, surprising because you can be walking down the street somewhere and you hear, you smell something you're not prepared to smell and suddenly you're flooded with the memory connected yeah. somehow to it. And I know they've, they've proven that scientifically, but I, I'm always really amazed at the what it releases in the mind uh, scent. Well, it's that, you know, when you study aromatherapy, you can find the science behind why it actually works. And it's quite fascinating. There, you know, briefly, there's um, an opening at the top of your nasal passages that actually there's a lobe of your brain that is exposed and sitting there without bone covering it. And it is directly related to the limbic system, which is memory and emotions and recall. So it's very powerful. Oh, I didn't know there was a part of the brain there. Yep. That's amazing. You don't want to go poking up too high. No, I can see why now. (laughs) And they had to do that for the COVID test. (laughs) That's why I was scared of the COVID test for that reason. I was like, don't go too high. (laughs) You're going to give me a lobotomy. (laughs) Now, have you ever found when you're working personally with a talisman that you see that something or an amulet, I would say maybe a talisman first. Uh, You see um, something like on the street or symbol of it. You were talking about synchronicity to kind of, you know, show where you're at with the process. You're and you you feel like it's connected to the working. Yeah, I do. It happens a lot with runes for me because nature and and I've done a lot of research of, of where the runes have come from and their influence throughout history and different cultures and they are everywhere. And nature can mimic or inspire the shapes of the runes very easily. Mm. So if I work deeply with the rune, um, I sometimes see it in a twig Ah. or a bunch of leaves that fell and some twigs. And they're like, I'm like, oh my God, that's Burkana. (laughs) How did that happen? (laughs) And so it's really powerful when you see that, but also the symbolism behind. So if like, let's say I'm working with Aries and I'm working with the moon, and then I get a lot of synchronicities about lunar dreaming, et cetera, and fire and action for Aries. So there's a lot of nuance that if you're, if you're sensitive to it, you can really start to see how it's working in your life. Mm. Yeah. I find if I, um, the way lately I've, I've been really connecting to the spirit world is through if I immerse myself in someone's work who has died and I really love it, they start coming into my life in really odd, tangible ways. And the most yeah. interesting thing recently was I've been reading this incredible biography of Sylvia Plath and her father mm-hmm. was a beekeeper and he had some sort of famous or at the time respected treaty on bees and when i started reading this book i started having strange encounters with bees the weirdest was there was a swarm above my bike when i went to ralph's (laughs) i was like what in the world is going on i mean i'm still trying to figure that one out because it was and i it was i mean and she was and she learn beekeeping and she has a whole series of poems about bees but i think it's because i was so immersed in this book and I really you know and I find that that that's a way to connect to the spirit world that's not that hard I mean you you have to really lose yourself in whatever that period is like you I bet if you've been researching you must feel that way sometimes you research a period tremendously Tremendously. and you evoke it into today's world and Mm -hmm. it's it's I think everybody could do that honestly 
Well, if you think about the way we research online, you know, we talk about, um, sorry, I have to elevator down for the dog. (laughs) Um, If you, you know, look at the way we research online, we fall into rabbit holes. And so that is also magic. If you tug on the thread, so to speak, of working with plants, you find that you're also working with the elements and you're also working with astrology and you're also working with the stars and the planets and the seasons. So you you tug on one tiny thread and you'll find yourself down a rabbit hole and then all of creation is speaking to you. Mm -hmm. So that's where synchronicity is most potent is that it's as a conversation. I think so. And and that's the one thing I, I like to tell people a lot is that the universe, however way you believe, if, if there's God or not, is, is awake. And, mm-hmm. and it does mm-hmm. want to and will converse with you in your own language. So you're going to see symbols that you understand and that relate mm-hmm. to you. So I find cards, playing cards and all things because I'm a tarot card reader. You know, right. it, it speaks in my some symbolic language. And now and then, like, it will introduce something new, like the bees were a little bit new in that I, I don't usually think a lot of the bees. But um, you're, you're right, and it is kind of like a rabbit hole. Um, but I, I think for me, with researching, I feel it's, it's really powerful, and you do this too, because you spend time in nature, that you spend mm-hmm. time in the real world, what I call the real world, the physical yes. world versus yes. the virtual world, which can captivate you too much. Like, and, and mm-hmm. you get too mental and, and at mm-hmm. least I do, I feel like this giant head just walking around mm-hmm. and where's the rest of my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. You know, the internet is a form of enchantment. So we fall into an enchantment with it. Then the, uh, the outer world, the physical world drops away. So it's really important, and this is important in magic. So you can become enchanted by your own magic and forget how to work it in the real world, in the physical realm. So when you're writing a talisman, you are you are in between. You are working in the in between the liminal space of what is physical and what is non-physical, what is mundane and what is sacred. You're in a place of power, liminal power. And that's very important. So I I don't just sit down and say, oh, I'm going to write a talisman right now. No, unless it's an emergency and I have to do something. And, and, you know, I might even put it, I might even draw a hamsa on my skin for protection or something. And by the way, you can put um, talismans and amulets on your skin. You can draw them. It's very powerful. Mm. But when you're working in that space, it's good to straddle one foot in the physical and one foot in the non-physical. And remember that we are beings of the middle. We are here in the middle realm. Earth is middle. There's the below and the above. And then here we are in the middle where the two converge. That's the power that you're tapping into when you work magically with physical objects. I love that, that what you said about the internet being an enchantment, that is really Mm -hmm. a wonderful way to see it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and oh, yeah, I, I'm enchanted several times a day <laughs> for many hours. Yeah, it no, is. I love that. Yeah. And it brings it, it gives you permission to dive in because it is our modern day uh, apprenticeship with magic and information. Mm-hmm. And here it is magically beamed out of where I don't even know. Like, I don't even understand, honestly, how the internet works. I don't, it just boggles me, but it's so magical. Mm. 
Yeah, I always think sometimes of all the images we post and, and put up every day, the millions and millions, and think about where are they? In space. Yeah. They are transmitted electronically and electrically in space. They're hanging out there in a liminal place. Oh, it's, it, it is. It is. It truly is our modern day magic for sure. Yep. You know, and, and I think it has its own rules and laws, some of which are probably connected to the ancient world. And some of them, you know, it's new, a new territory in some ways, the mm-hmm. Wild West. I agree 100 percent. So I did want to mention, um, we still have you know, plenty of time, but I did want to mention to people that you're actually teaching a course on this right now and maybe mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit and, and also when it is. Yes, it's, um, we've just for about to finish our first uh, in the series of four. And if people want to visit my website, which is goddesspriestesswitch.com, you'll see a tab called Offerings. And that is where uh, the second course is, is launching now. Enrollment is open until the 7th. And it's a four course series that takes you from the very beginning of what are talismans and amulets and what would you possibly want to do with them and brings you into three other of my favorite realms. So moon and star, goddess and angels, and then bindings of how to bind you know, them and keep them safe and protected while you're working with them. So the next up is moon and stars. And then after each one finishes, after each of the modules finish, the lessons entirely are available for purchase. That's so people can go back and get the first yes. round that, that missed it. And is it important that they do? Will they understand if they just. Mm, it's best if you do the series, okay. you know, okay. um, you could just jump into any of them. They're, they're, they're almost standalone, but it's really good that you at least get the first one. Cool. Now, I did want to ask you from your experience, it seems to me, and again, maybe this just is maybe a, a cursory look at things. It seems like people often want more protective objects, or at least yes. they talk about more, if you go where, even in person, you'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And and do you think there's a reason for that? And do you think there's any um, out of balance with that? What What is your, your thought? Your That's thoughts about question. that? Such a good question. And Krista, if we turned the clock back to, you know, Neolithic times, we would find the same desire from people wanting to feel protected. Because I think there is, and this is going to go a little esoterical for a moment, I feel with all of my heart that there is something within us that is aware on a very primitive, deep level that we are fragile that we are, we have lost connection, first of all, with the fact that we are all connected and we are connected to nature as a whole, and we feel very separate. And so we feel this fragility that causes us to imagine we need protection. And the imagination of that is, I believe, brings us back to source. So when we ask for protection, we're asking something bigger, more powerful outside of us to protect us, to guide us, to lead us. And that brings us back into connection. Mm -hmm. That brings us back into we are part of the whole. There is something out there that will protect me. I am protected. So that we're off kilter thinking that we're separate and vulnerable and fragile. And yet when we seek protection, we are now weaving ourselves back into that fabric of all together, all one thing, all connected. Yeah, I like that. I I definitely like that perspective and how it it brings you into the connection in a sense. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter that that's what, you know, pulls you in. 
it's it's the human condition. We don't know. We we are human here now, and our spirit. You know, we get these glimpses of what we could, what we were, what we could be later. What you know, we were talking earlier about. You know, do we continue on? That's the big question. Where do I go? Where where did I come from? Who am I? What am I? You know, some of those are pretty burning questions for some of us. And when you work magically with protection, you're asking to tap into that. You're asking to tap into that thing that is outside of you that you can't name, that you don't know. Is it goddess, God, the elements, the earth, the cosmos, the creator, the mystery, all of those things. We're tapping into that. We're making connection with it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious if there could be a way to use a talisman with the philosophical questions. I, I don't know if there is. It's more if a person wants to wrestle with the question of life after death or mm-hmm. reincarnation or oh. I never, you know, usually, and again, maybe it's just because popular magic is more, and, and there's nothing, I mean, I do prosperity spells and things, but mm-hmm. you wonder, you know, you, usually you see the more esoteric with more of the Western magical tradition, right. but why I, I, I would think you could do that with talismans too. I would do that more with an amulet. And here's why. And you could use a talisman to in, to empower the amulet. So you could put your symbolism on paper, and then you could you know wrap the talus or the amulet, or infuse the amulet during a specific celestial event um, to empower it. But I would work with an amulet. So as an example, the ankh. It's a symbol of everlasting life. Those who wore it could touch it, hold it, and connect with that wisdom and truth. The symbol of ma'at, you know, if you wore a a charm of ma'at, you could touch it and you could look at it and you could know that her wisdom and truth were with you. Mm. You could pop into that. Um, The Christian cross, a Catholic cross rather, that's an amulet that you can touch and hold and look at the rosary, all of those things lead you to whatever you're seeking, whatever the purpose of them are. So if you're looking like, like, give me an example of something that you would want to seek. Oh, what, what would I want to seek? Huh? I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm still, I'm, I'm feeling more connected to what my purpose is right now, but I'm still sort of that's on my mind. Am I now on my, you know, cause I, I don't know if purpose changes, but it, it certainly did for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So I've been working more with what is my true purpose for quite some time for many mm-hmm. years, actually. I would, I would recommend working with a goddess, a wisdom goddess or a goddess of truth. So again, Ma'at, you could work with um, Sophia. Mm-hmm. You could work with, um, let me think, uh, Athena. Mm-hmm. You know, any of those um, goddesses of uh, power and purpose, and you could work with them symbolically as a a piece of jewelry. You could write them out on a talisman and seek that guidance from them. I've always been attracted to Ma'at because I heard or read Alistair Crowley said that at some point there would be the the Aeon of Ma'at, the Aeon of Truth. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, that's where I belong. Yes, <laughs> and yes. I and that was that was it. And I said, oh, I gotta I gotta explore that someday. And maybe that's mm-hmm. the time is now because I often find uh, in this culture, and you know, I I I'm not Aquarius, but I have Aquarius ascendant, and I have an Aquarius father. That I don't feel I fit in. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I either go back into like, you know, the late 1800s, which I really like the esoteric work there, or I feel like I belong in the future somewhere. I feel sort of in, <laughs> yeah. and I'm okay with it. I don't feel that it's wrong that I'm here, but, right. but I, I remember thinking that age sort of that idea, because it seems like we're in an age uh, where lies are completely okay on so many levels. It's just part of our culture that uh, different forms of lying and and it's even in terms of metaphysics, I would say that's true sometimes. Well, you bring up a wonderful point that leads us to the enchantment of the internet, enchantment of technology. So enchantment and glamour are a hand-in-hand type of magic. A glamour is you create a look that disguises the truth. Mm-hmm. So women get plastic surgery, that's a glamour. Mm -hmm. Women wear makeup, that's a glamour. Men wear makeup, that's a glamour. Um, And so you can use glamour and enchantment for positive or negative, like everything else in the world. You can use an amulet and talisman for positive or negative. You know, anything can be in, you know, grabbed onto by any of those polarities. And so that lying is because we have the power of the internet, the power of media. So the enchantment has gone into the negative. Mm. It's true. And, and, and glamour can be protective. I remember reading that in the mists of Avalon that always, I'd love that word glamour when Vivian would put on a glamour, you know, I was like, (laughs) Oh, I love that. And and that it can be also an energy that you mask your yourself and that can be a very protective thing like in their case i think merlin did that too he wanted to get in somewhere and and uh and i think there's a whole book on that in alice bailey's which i've always wanted to read about glamour and they were talking Mm -hmm. about that you know even in the late 18 early 1900s so you're right it's always been around it's always when we look at shape-shifting uh deities we're and you know we're looking at their glamour Mm -hmm. they're shifting into something else we can't see their true form yeah, you know so that's. But again, positive or negative, you choose. Um, but it's very interesting. I, I find it all very interesting if you keep digging and pulling things apart like that. I think so, and I think the main thing, like any other period of time, is that I always loved that Delphic Oracle message: "Know thyself." And I, I heard about mm-hmm. that when I was very young, and it's been one of my main mottos. Even though they had some other ones, I have a little book on that. It was really fascinating. And that idea that if you know yourself and you take the time to really get to know the deeper self, then mm-hmm. you can even know if you're being enchanted most of the time. I mean, there yes. are some enchantments for everyone that fool yes. all of us. Oh, yes. I think I've dated them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that is the one area that it's, it's yep. quite powerful. Absolutely. You yes. know? Um, and I say that with great love and respect. Well, you know, that's how I feel about my my youth. I, I, I um, you know, I'm revisiting Sylvia Plath on some level because she was a poet that really affected me when I was young. And so I just found myself going back to my 20s in my mm-hmm. mind and and that person I was and all the the romantic notions and mistakes I made around love. But to be honest, I'm it was my journey and it's OK. It's not you know, I, I always tell people love is messy anyway. It's never it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's supposed to be. Your heart is supposed to break sloppily open. And you're supposed to <laughs> supposed to be all over the place. It's not supposed to be neat and tidy. That's not how it is. No, it's but not pretty. Know, going back to your talisman or amulet, you said something very important that can be used for talismanic work, and that is know thyself. You can create a sigil with that. 
Oh, I love that. You know, I never thought of mm-hmm. doing that. And I just love, I've always, I've, I've always loved that and yep. thought about <laughs> know thyself. You can simply write it on a piece of paper with some symbols around it or other um, axioms or other poems or words or anything else you want to amplify that, but make that your center. And you can even reduce it into sigil magic. So you can take the statement, know thyself, and just on a separate piece of paper, cross out the vowels and then cross out any duplicate consonants. And what you're left with is a magical sigil oh, of that phrase. Fascinating. Ah. And, and then one step further, you can just leave those, you know, linear, like let's say it was Y O, I'm, I'm sorry, Y N S. You could leave it like that, or you can create a design of Y N S where they're all combined and there's all kinds of glamour and hidden enchantment around it. So mm. even you, when you look at it, it's just going deep into your subconscious. I'd love that idea. I think I'm going to try that. That's Yay. really fun. I'm so excited. Yeah. I, I mean, I love letters and mm-hmm. just, you know, lettering itself, calligraphy. And I, yes. I'm listening to you. Town. It's totally uh, inspiring me to do more with that because I, it, I have an affinity towards that anyway. So I think mm-hmm. that you're helping to bring a lot of attention to something in a way to me that seems very grounded and experienced. Wonderful. And because like I said, when I thought about it, I said, well, you know, I see people, well, sometimes I'll see the sigils and they look so complicated and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, and then when you just described that, I was like, oh, that's so neat that I can do that. That's not so overwhelming esoterically to frighten no. me away. <laughs> no, not at all. There's so many ways to create sigils. I have a whole course on that as well. And it's sigil magic is also hand in hand with my love of talismans and amulets. And it is the core of my magical workings. I really never knew that about you. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of depth. You've been, it Thank seems you. like you've been on this journey most of your life. And you're, you're definitely a, I would say you're a real digger. You know, yeah. you, you really dig into things. You really hunker down and, and not just, and, and that you go deeply into the experiences. And that's what I know of you anyway, since I've known yes. you for almost 20 years now, I think. Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe that. <laughs> time. That's another topic. Well, we I have know. just a couple minutes and I was wondering if there's any last sort of things you'd like to say about this topic or advise or just anything on your mind. Sure. I think um, some people are going to approach this with trepidation. Oh, I have to know so much. I have to make this a very elaborate and I'm really fond of simple magic. And so I guide them to just start. There are so many wonderful books on the subject it's an age old topic and craft. So you can find it anywhere you can, you know, it's easy to get your hands on the information. Um, Reach out to me, I'm happy to answer questions, but go simply. But you know, if you're attracted to it, simply go forth. I love that. And I think that is important because like I said, it can seem very intimidating Mm -hmm. with especially some of the signals you'll see online or in books and things. So thank you again for coming on the show. It was really fascinating. It's always, we always have your contact information on our websites. If you want to get a hold of Renee Starr, her website's always on our own Sixth Sense Society website. And you have also a Facebook page, I think also that people can join too. Mm -hmm. And all of that's on the, uh, you can do it on my website. Great. That, that's awesome. And thank you all for listening in. I hope you go out and make a talisman or amulet or appreciate the ones that you have after this show. It's certainly been very inspiring for me. Um, but join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a wonderful week.